HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Dashable, an app to help you find deals, discounts, and coupons for local businesses in New York City. Time for Lunch is a new podcast from HRN for curious young eaters, where we focus on the serious questions. Aren't chickens tiny dinosaurs? We get to know our favorite foods in unexpected ways. We just like cheered like you would cheer for your classmate when they're round in second base in softball. And we just like, peach, 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 peach. Yay, thank you, peaches. Learn some new recipes and jokes. What does a boxer's mom put in his lunch? A knuckle sandwich. And load up on fun facts. Experts estimate that there are between one and 2,000 types of insects eaten around the world. So roll up your sleeves and dig in. Subscribe to Time for Lunch on your favorite podcast app so that you and your favorite young eater can catch up on the whole first season. New episodes of season two out each week. Well, hello. Welcome to Own the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, July 29th, 2020. This is the 259th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a top luxury hospitality professional, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip, And then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to be kind to yourself and make you the priority. Focus on self-care from your health to your mind and lifestyle. Understand that it's not being selfish to put yourself first but rather it's necessary to then be able to take care of others. If we don't put our own needs in the forefront, we simply can't be of service to anyone else. So let's remember to treat ourselves with the utmost care and kindness so we can then spread our love. That's my tip today. 
Now, this is very exciting. I am thrilled to have my guest on the show with me. It is Gary Obligacion. He is the general manager at Post Ranch Inn in Big Sur, California. Gary has enjoyed a career in luxury hospitality spanning more than 30 years, from the famed Chez Panisse in San Francisco's Ritz-Carlton and Mandarin Oriental, and to being recruited by Coast Luxury Management to run its food festivals like Pebble Beach Food and Wine. Prior to Big Sur, Gary was Director of Service Operations for Chicago's Alinea Group, including its namesake Michelin three-star rated restaurant, Alinea. So welcome to the show. Hi, Gary. Hi there, Sherry. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. How are you? You know, um, all things considered, I'm doing well. I live, I mean, I'm living in Big Sur. I can't complain. Let me tell you, I, you know, in my research and everything I know about <laughs> Big Sur and where you are at, um, I, I'm quite jealous of your location. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're not alone. I, I look up some days. Um, in order to see the Pacific, I have to actually sit up in my bed. And it's one of those that I understand on a daily basis how lucky I am. Yeah, it just looks, it's so gorgeous. And I, I mean, I've been fortunate to be out in California before, uh, previously into Monterey at the Pebble Beach Wine and Food Festival, but I definitely have not spent um, a good quality amount of time in Big Sur. And I, I've just, um, of course, uh, now, I, now I just want to get on a plane and come, come visit you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, perfect. Let's make that happen. Yeah, let's, let's do that. I mean, when, when we can. Um, because now, yeah, times times are are um, are uncertain. But I, I am, you know, I hope to get out there in the future. And let's talk about uh, yeah, let's talk about everything that's happening. But um, first, let's let's. Oh, I always like to start with my guest background. Um, just find out like where you grew up and and what was it about food or hospitality that you decided that's what you wanted to do with your career. Well, it's, I grew up in Los Angeles, California, so I'm a native Californian, which is uh, not a, th a thing you hear very often. Um, True. And, and I, I grew up in an environment where my mother worked for IBM, my father was an attorney, um, and I was an, an only child. So it was one of those where uh, I, I just grew up around you know, doing my homework at the kitchen table, my mom would come home, and I became a prep cook in the household. I'd help pill shrimp or chop onions or whatever it was while I, in the course of doing my homework. Um, fast forward to when I went off to college, I went to UC Berkeley and uh, a friend of mine in the dorms uh, had his mother visiting and I said I was looking for a job and she said, well, you should go apply at Chez Panisse. And I had no idea what Chez Panisse was having come from LA. Um, it just wasn't on, on my radar at that point in 1984. And um, I, I went over and applied for a job and um, I, I got it and I got $5 an hour cash and I got, you know, a meal at Shea every day. And it was, um, I, I didn't realize what it was doing, but it really planted the seed for um, the, the, the fact that I, I was doing something uh, fulfilling and, and sustainable and that I, I fell in love with. And I, it, it was, I never went back. Um, I thought I wanted to be a doctor. I just chose um, a, a different way. And instead of being in hospitals, I went into hospitality. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a 
quite a start to work with Alice Waters and <laughs> kind of, yeah. uh, I guess, stumble upon uh, Shave Panisse. But um, yeah, I could see how you, you might get the bug for, to work in the industry from that. Um, so then so then from there or, or post-college, um, take me through a little about uh, your the the work you did with hotels. And then I know you were out in Vail at, at one point. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, oh, it's a 34, 35 years, 36 years. Wow. That's a, that's a lot of years now, 36 years in the industry um, on and off. But, but at first um, I, I wasn't sure. And I was, I was cooking uh, for a little bit and a friend of mine was, was like running off to, to Mammoth Lakes. And I'm like, you know, I have no idea what I'm doing. So why not? I'll, I'll shoot up there. Got a job at, at a chart house as a broiler assistant. And I was, you know, doing baked potatoes and, you know, and carving the, the prime rib. Uh, but then they trained me to be a bartender, which is a good thing. Um, I got a job from there working in a restaurant under Chef Ian Elgaron. And, and Ian had been the executive sous chef at, at what was the California Culinary Academy. Um, and he was cooking in a restaurant um, in, in Mammoth called um, Novato's. And he he brought me in and taught me to cook. And I learned kind of from the ground up. I had to learn garmage, had to learn sauces, had to learn pastry, had to learn um, saute um, because I, I knew the grill first. So my education was kind of backwards. I went from there to San Francisco, was cooking at Boulevard restaurant um, and then jumped the wall to become a, a waiter at, at Boulevard. Uh, and then I went to the Ritz-Carlton San Francisco uh, where I started management. Uh, and that was you know, my, my first foray into uh, five-star, five-diamond environment, but they really taught me the basics of management. Um, I, I stayed in San Francisco for a few years, uh, ended up being recruited by Pebble Beach Resorts to come down here, um, was with Pebble Beach Resorts uh, from where I went to Bernardus Lodge. Um, and then there was this inkling or this word of an event that was starting uh, that was going to be what became Pebble Beach Food and Wine, which really was an extension of the Masters of Food and Wine, which is around before it for, I think, 22 years. Um, and as it was launching, I said, I have to be a part of it. Uh, I, I went to launch there as the vice president in charge of uh, operations and logistics um, and really just built that uh, event. I was the third employee and, and was there, I think, to my recollection, I think is 127 days before the first event. Um, and it was mind-blowing how much we didn't have in place before that first year's and uh, had wild success. Um, from there, yeah. I, I left the company. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say I ended up in Vail only because, you know, the event world, as as fun as it is, you, you, it's only, you know, you spend a whole year getting ready for a four-day event. And, and for me, the most fun part is the operation and it was not as fulfilling so i i, I followed a friend of mine who was launching a, a property and he was the opening gm for a reconcepting of a hotel in Vail called the sebastian he brought me on board to help launch his food and beverage operations and i stuck around as the um, resort manager so i was in charge of all rooms division and all other operations as the number two basically the uh, um, executive assistant manager rooms division um, I would have probably stayed there indefinitely because you get this wonderful, you know, Monday through Friday type lifestyle. I could ski any day I wanted to, um, you know, ski in, ski out kind of operation. 
But I got a phone call from Grant Ackett's, and that, um, that sent me, uh, when Nick Akonis and Grant Ackett's call you from the Alinea Group in Chicago, you listen and take that phone call. Um, and I ended up out there for five and a half years. Yeah, no, that's, um, you know, you do take that call, and that's, that's an amazing um, history. And um, I was trying to think when we met, if it was at Pebble Beach or it was at Alinea, um, but, you know, I've, uh, I've been, or, or it was, you know, it was probably at an event somewhere in, in the middle of that, because I didn't get out to Pebble Beach Food and Wine until... 2017, but... Um, no, the, the first time I met you was actually Chef's Night Out during the Jay's Beard Awards. Oh, wow. You have a good memory. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. That's when we met. And, yep. and it's been such a pleasure to, you know, see you all these years and get to know you just through um, being a part of the hospitality industry. And, and, um, and then when I went to... I mean, I went, I got out to Alinea um, when you were there. I don't think you weren't there that night, but you knew I was coming in and I had such a special experience um, dining there. Uh, so, so what would, what were, what was like the biggest takeaway or, or something like lesson learned or from working with Nick and, and Grant? I, I'd say there's a couple of very distinct lessons uh, that I learned while there and one of them is that if it could be better, you should make it better. Um, and, and it's really looking at that constant improvement and every day walking in and, and assessing and judging yourself, um, not just what you're doing, but but just tweaking it con- consistently. Uh, the other part I would learn in, th- in that environment um, was that there is not a single detail that isn't important. Um, and, and that was an eye-opener because it, in all of our operations, it doesn't matter uh, what you're doing. It can be you know, hotel, restaurant, accountancy. It, re- it really doesn't matter. You, you really want to focus on how you do every aspect and be conscious about it and, and not take it for granted. And, and, and if you decide to do something a certain way, either you, you know it's there and you continue or you know it's there and you don't like it and you change it. And either one is, is valid, but knowing it exists is the key part. I guess the final thing I would learn from there was um, that, that just there's no finish line. And, and especially in hospitality, we come across this, but it's, you know, you have guests come in today. They come in, they have a wonderful experience, and those guests leave tomorrow. It's a brand new set, um, and, and you do it over again. And it's, it's a lot, to a large extent, it's wash, rinse, repeat. And, and it just continues going on a day-by-day basis. The challenge is to keep it fresh for all parties concerned, for you know the customers, obviously, you want it to be fresh and new and exciting for them, but for the staff that's also executing and doing and delivering that product, it's important for management, owners, investors. It has to stay vibrant and alive from, from all points of view, well, no matter what the product. Yeah, very true. So, so you're there, you said five and a half years, and then um, the West Coast uh, was just calling your name? Were you, were you just ready to, to, um, for a change? Or how did, how did you post Ranch in that your position as general manager um, come about? Uh, yeah, it's, well, strange story. So as I was leaving Coastal Luxury Management and stepping away to, to see what was next, I, I didn't have a plan. 
I didn't know what was next. And a lot of my friends here in the Monterey Peninsula uh, tried to convince me to stay, uh, just to stay in the Carmel Monterey area, because it's for all kinds of reasons. My response at the time was that there really wasn't anything that I wanted to do from a career standpoint. There was no job that, that was calling out to me. But I, I made an offhand comment to one of my friends. I said, you know, I'd stick around to be, I don't know, general manager of Post Ranch Inn. Um, fast forward seven and a half years, and the person that I said it to called me and said, remember when you mentioned <laughs> being general manager of Post Ranch Inn? I'm like, of course I did. Uh, and she said, well, the job's open. Uh, would you want me to reintroduce you to the owner, Mike Freed? And, and I said, well... I, I have to say yes. Um, and, and really, it was one of those when the universe screams at you like that, just shouts mm-hmm. at you, you have to listen. Um, and, and I had, I mean, I thought I was going to be in Chicago forever. Uh, I was I was in a dream job. And then when this opportunity uh, presented, I, I had to at least entertain it and come talk to them. So I left a dream job for another dream job is really kind of what it ends up being. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, I was also thinking how, what's that saying when like you put out to the universe what, what you want and maybe, and then it will come. I'm like, you put out there that if there was this position there, I'd take it. And what do you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I had to say yes. Well, I at yeah. least had to, I had to entertain it. Right. So, so for people who haven't been to the Post Ranch and can you describe it a bit? Because I'm just looking around on your website, and it just looks so magical. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So California, for those who haven't been, is is one. It's a it's a really enormous state, and it has all these different little microclimates throughout. Um, the two areas that most people are familiar with are the two major cities are Los Angeles in Southern California and San Francisco in Northern California. And, of course, those are very different from one another. If you're driving the coast of California between the two, if you're driving Highway 1, about one-third of the way down from San Francisco on the way to Los Angeles would be Monterey Carmel area, right? And that's a beautiful, majestic little area, a little cute town. About, you know, 30 miles south of that is Big Sur, and you drive through Big Sur. There is no actual town per se. There's a post office, but there's no town. Um, it's, it's a drive-through area. It's, it's untouched country. It's hard living. It is the, it's where the ocean meets the mountains. They're right here. And you're driving highway one in this area and you have a combination of these soaring mountains on one side and then Pacific as far as you can see on the other. We have at Post Ranchin, uh, just under a hundred acres of land on the Pacific side of highway one. Um, but there's only 42 hotel rooms, and they're scattered out on that land. Um, it's a place where we can be at 100% occupancy, and you may not see another guest. It's possible. Um, it, it's just, you know, I, I sometimes walk to work, and my traffic, quote-unquote, is going to be turkeys and deer and, <laughs> you know, wild quail. And it's just, it's unbelievable. There's you know, active mountain lion in the area. There's been, I've had a bobcat literally run across my toe um, as he was trying to scamper across the path and, and literally run on my foot. It's it's an amazing place. So it's good for social distancing then. <laughs> yeah, we actually name it, we call it natural distancing and that's it. I mean, it's, it's perfect. Oh, I like that. 
I mean, better than yeah. social distancing. <laughs> yeah, just just walk around and enjoy the redwoods by yourself, just because there's no one else around. Yeah, well, you know, and I, I was so the year when I was out at Pebble Beach, um, it was 2017, and I had a car and I drove as far down into Big Sur as I could. But at that that year, you had the floods and the bridge was closed. Um, yeah. So I did a little, I mean, it's so, it's so gorgeous. And it's, um, it's, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, what a place to work. <laughs> it is. And, and the part about Big Sur that's interesting is it's a, it's a strange combination. I mean, this is an area where obviously Henry Miller was here and, um, you know, Orson Welles and, and Rita Hayworth had their little love nest. What, what is Nepenthe now? Um, there's this amazing artistic influence that has been here forever. Um, but in addition, if you look back even further, this is a magical spot where the Esalen Indian tribe would stop every single year. They were nomadic people by nature, but this was one of the places they continued to come back to. There's something special yeah. about this place. And now you've got this this wild bohemian culture and then venture capitalist type, you know, billionaire culture blending um, in one neighborhood. Yeah. So what what was your, let's say, day in the life pre-pandemic and now currently with the changes uh, with COVID? And, and and where are you guys at now with with opening or what did what happened with, um, uh, you know, was there a pause? Um, I will I'll just segue that into just saying my question that I have from my last guest on episode 258 I had on Camilla Marcus the founder of Westbourne in Manhattan Soho. And she wanted to know if she, if she wanted to see if you could share what, what did um, happen when the pandemic hit as she heard there were some amazing hospitality hero moments with guests who were stuck there, but really we were saying stuck in heaven. Um, and she also adores the <laughs> <guy>. <laughs> well, So that's, a, that's my big, big roundup question of like, how's it been going? <laughs> Well, let, let's say, okay, so the, the property itself, it's, it's interesting. Um, because it's so small and, and it is relatively exclusive, it just it's supply and demand type thing. So we operated, you know, for call it five months, six months out of the year at just a hair under 100%. Um, Year-round occupancy was, was, you know, flirting with those numbers all year long. So it was full all the time. That, that's a great thing. And that's, that's that... Um, when you talk about wash, rinse, repeat, but it's it's something I've gotten used to with like the Alinea group where you have a product that's high demand, no matter what the price point, then people are going to clamor from around the planet to get there. So we were operating that way uh, before everything. Um, what we found as, as COVID started happening was just this uncertainty with what was going to happen next and, and into you know, January and February was, was nothing. But once the beginning of March hit, we started seeing, well, wait a second, there's more to this than anybody thinks. And we didn't know what was going to happen. And we kept trying to maintain every aspect of our property we could because we are so spread out. So still maintaining the restaurant as we did. We started, uh, with the spa was still doing massage and so forth. The first thing we did was we we shut down um, the the. Up the restaurant, which would have been open to outside drive-in guests for lunch and dinner as well, but we made it exclusive for resort guests only. So that was the very first change we made. Um, and then 
the, the restrictions started coming in from um, the state of California, from the county of Monterey, uh, saying what we could and could not do. And we had to start, you know, cutting back. Spa services got cut back. Um, what we could serve, um, what meals we could serve, um, and where we could serve them eventually got to the point where we could maybe do in-room dining only for our guests. Um, masks were no requirement at the time. But but it, it got to the point where we just couldn't stay viable in just giving a product to our guests anymore. So March 24th, our last guest um, checked out. Of the, and, and we didn't open up again until July 15th. Um, so it was a it was a long stretch. Um, the the uh, let's talk about where we are now. Where we are now is that we can't do any uh, indoor dining in the state of California right now. So we have a small patio. We've been able to put ten tables out there. We're trying to see if we can increase that number so we can um, have more more of our hotel guests still dine even at the restaurant if they want to, albeit on the patio. Uh, we totally revamped our in-room dining services, so it's uh can be more comprehensive and and more welcoming and warm and and feel comfortable in the rooms. Something we did before, but we were able to expand on what we were doing and some of the selections. Um, the spa services we we went from having uh, massage that you could do in room. Now we can't do that. Massage that you could do in the spa, we can't do that either because personal services are, are, are just not, not allowed right now in Monterey County. So we've found that we have uh, contactless services, things like uh, shamanism or sound therapy or astrology sessions. And these are things that we can do that kind of tap into the spa mentality without having to touch one another. Um, uh, long, long-winded answer to, to a lot, but you... I don't know if you want me to address Camilla's question now, but I can. Yeah, sure. I know. Well, my question was long-winded, so you're allowed to have a long-winded answer. <laughs> That's fair. Well, part part of what goes on in our property is, well, living in Big Sur, there's not a ton of housing. So I'd say about a third of our total employees live on property. Um, with that, that means we have about 60 people, 60 employees living on the property. In addition, we have their families that means we have almost 40 kids on property as well. Um, as, as we shut down, as the school shut down, that meant that we were having to entertain them and, and, or the parents were having to entertain their children here on property. Um, as we started saying, okay, we're going to shut down services, delivers to the area, they stopped coming. What do we do? How do we feed our employees? How do we make it so they feel safe? Um, our pivot was we decided to, even though the restaurant wasn't open, we decided to feed our employees. And so we kept... Um, a small amount of our kitchen team um, here working the entire closure. And we provided lunch every single day for um, anybody who's working, uh, whether that be, you know, no matter what, what capacity they're in. But anybody working got lunch on us. And then dinners, we did um, dinners for the entire staff every night, anybody who was in employee housing. And so that continued every single month. And, and then we started having a lot of fun with it. Um, which is where we started taking any managers that were around and having them do guest chef appearances. So, for instance, I decided that that Chinese takeout, Chinese takeout, is something that we all missed. So I made you know, a Chinese dinner. So I did uh, fried rice and sweet and sour pork for a staff meal for dinner one night, um, and it was just fun. Yeah, and you could use that culinary background you have. Exactly right. <laughs> With a lot of help. It's been a lot of years since I've done that scale, but 
um, yeah, we pulled it off. Yeah, well, that sounds that sounds great. Um, what? So, so where are you at now with capacity, or, or is, is it typically uh, extremely hard to get a reservation there? Or you, you, you know, how far in advance do people typically book? And are you so are you are you booked now for the this the rest you know the rest of the next the summer or the rest of the next couple of months or what are what is people's mindsets as well you know um the the demand is is really really hard to explain um let, let, the easiest way is this so in in our standard let's talk about a year ago right in the same period we would we would have busy days busy nights our reservations team fielding any requests for future reservations and they would close up shop for the night and they'd come back the next morning and and field any voicemails they would have and that number would be four maybe five email or voicemails from just the prior night and we're talking not a lot of hours which you know 6 p.m to 9 a.m um, that's that's what they'd have overnight um a few about a month ago they came in and they they reached out to me to say you won't believe this but we're getting 85 to 90 voicemails overnight wow um yeah it's it's that kind of demand where we are is that uh we are we're we're holding back our our occupancy uh, we opened up on the 15th to roughly 35% occupancy ramped it up to 50% we're going to hit about 75% this next week and that's um, where we're going to have to stick for now, not because of the amount of demand, but for a couple of other reasons. One, we've in- instituted new protocols, the cleanliness standards of sanitation, how many hours we take to do it, how many team members it takes to do all the different processes in order to take a room from occupied to you know, vacant, clean, inspected, and ready for the next guest. So that just takes a little more time and effort. So we're, we're holding our occupancy back because of that. Secondly, uh, well, there were construction issues that we that we had done, and we had projects already in the works that we started in December, and we're moving through. And those are supposed to be completed by Memorial Day. Well, when COVID nineteen hit and all the uh, shelter in place directives fell, then construction stopped at the same time, and we had to cease construction for months. Uh, those same construction projects that were supposed to be done before Memorial Day are now not going to be done until after Labor Day. And so it just pushes everything out. So there's that, that natural kind of ceiling as to how many rooms we can occupy because they're still, you know, in the final stages of construction. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it is, it's hard. It's here, I hear you. Uh, for We just got to adjust on that. But um, what... What's this, I mean, you've been, your experiences and where you've worked, I mean, you've worked at such amazing, high demanding luxury properties. I mean, you know, the, like such top, top um, like high, you know, intense, I would say. Um, uh, I would think these jobs that you've had are intense as having the, giving the hospitality experience. And, but you, I don't know, my roundabout way of saying like anything anything that you've been through, like prepare you for this, or was this like just something like none of us saw coming and it was just, you know, figuring it out as we, as we went. What we're experiencing right now is completely unprecedented, and and there's no other way around that. What I would say is this. um, 
when you work at a high level, when you're focusing on details and, and you're and, and you start when you key on details, right? Um, it, it helps you understand that you can only do one thing at a time effectively. And, and well, let's go back to the Lindy Group. Um, it, it was Grant who, who actually said it one time. He said, there's not a single thing that we do that by itself is difficult. What becomes difficult is how many of these simple things we compound um, and are doing at the same time. Now, it's not that one person is doing them all. It's what you're doing is you have a variety of different people, a lot of different people, in the case of Alinea, doing small, individual, maybe simple tasks in concert with one another. Um, and it's orchestrating all those pieces. So when you look at something like this, it's one, keying on what are the little minute details that need to happen? How do we key on the guest experience and make sure that it's proper from how do we greet them at the gate? How do we make sure that, that they are safe, that the person working the gate is safe? How do we make sure that the person coming on understands what they're going to be driving into, given that we're going to have you know face coverings required in certain areas, that we're going to have uh, social, physical, natural distancing requirements um, as they come on property, that they have the ability to you know park their own car if that makes them more comfortable, or we'll take care of it for them if they're more comfortable. Uh, that if they decide they don't want housekeeping services you know, on a daily basis, that that's okay with us, if that's okay with them. Um, but if they change their mind, that's also fine. So what prepared me was, was that kind of minutia. I'd say also doing something as big as Pebble Beach Food and Wine. Um, there was so much going on and so many balls in the air at once that a, a lot of what it came down to was staying calm, staying focused, um, understanding that, okay, what comes next? And, and when you have that sense of calm, you're able to approach the issues as you can and cross them off the list one by one by one and hopefully get to a point where it, at least it feels like it's somewhat in control. Um, hospitality is a controlled crash. There's no ways about it. Like dumb <laughs> things are going wrong all the time. Um, the, the, the whole goal is to keep the things that are going wrong within the parameters that you set so it isn't, you know, catastrophically wrong. Yeah. Well, well said. Okay. So let's take a little break here and we will come back and we'll play my speed round game. We'll talk some industry news. We'll have my solo dining experience in the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by Dashable, an app created to help you find deals, discounts, and coupons for local businesses in New York City. Dashable will help you find the deals worth dashing for in a variety of categories, from food and drink to art, health, and pets. Support local and save money when you download Dashable today. That's D-A-S-H-I-B-L-E. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Gary Obligacion. He is the general manager at Post Ranch Inn in Big Sur, California. And it's time for my speed round game. So, Gary, what this is, is I name a couple of things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Okay. 
You're ready? Was that the, I am ready. Yeah, that's that's the sample one. You you can answer it, but it's not required even though. Chocolate versus vanilla, I'd say yeah. chocolate, but it depends on if it's gonna be forever or just right now. Ooh, that's so interesting. How would you answer it if it's forever or if it's just like what's the difference? What's what's right? If it's, yeah. Uh, if it was one flavor forever, I'd actually choose vanilla. Ah, so interesting. But right now you take chocolate. Okay. Yes. Cool. Well, let's see. Let's see how you answer the rest of these. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Eat in or eat out? Ooh. Um, before? <laughs> okay. I, it is eat in. Eat in is actually my preference. I love to cook. It is the way I release. It is my most relaxing. I would say this, though. It is a rare treat and truly fulfilling to eat out. And that's how I recharge my own batteries. When I really need uh, to, to feel good, I go out and let myself be taken care of and, and yeah. surrender myself. So eating out. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to I know this is supposed to be speed round, but like I wonder, though, with as I've heard this from other people who work in hospitality or chefs, like it's almost hard to relax if you're dining out because you notice things because you're a hospitality Guaranteed. person. So yep. <laughs> you could, if, as, it's good that you're able to eat out and, and yeah, take it in and let people pamper you. So, um, okay, here, keep going. Um, wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Oh, always champagne. I mean, I'll drink them all. Don't get me wrong. But if it's <laughs> knee-jerk, champagne. Great. Tasting menu or a la carte? Ooh. You had to ask me that one, didn't you? Um, actually, for me, a la carte. Okay. Um, I love tasting menus. I love executing for other people. I like eating a la carte myself. Yeah. Well, it's good to know. Small plates or large plates? Small. Communal table or chef's counter? Mm, again, pre or post COVID. Um, I, I, I mean, well, what's, what's the, what's, what would be the difference for you on that? Well, I, I don't know if I'd want to sit at a communal table at all right now. I'm not comfortable for that. And, and sitting in a group setting with people I don't yeah. know. There was a time where right. that was such a blast. It's just not right now. So chef's counter. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, tipping or all-inclusive charge? Uh, I can go either way on that. I actually like having control of being able to tip. Um, I also understand the need in certain environments to have it all inclusive. So it, it depends on the circumstance, but I, I like being able to tip. Okay. Walk around tasting event or sit down dinner? Sit down. Tablecloth restaurants or more casual settings? Casual. Two more, cheese plate or dessert? Ooh, can I have both? You can have whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say both then. I have a feeling at, at out in Big Sur that that's the same goes. You can have both. You can have the cheese plate and the dessert. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My last one's Manhattan, Brooklyn, Chicago, or Big Sur. Ooh. 
Ooh. I stump you on that one? Yeah, you did. Right now, Big Sur. Um, ugh. <laughs> it, it's kind of it's 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 all the above, but it's I, right now it's Big Sur. Okay, excellent. That was great. That was the game. <laughs> so fun! It's so fun to hear what people um, their preferences and get stuck on. And you're you're right though. These questions, um, what you would answer now compared to five months ago, um, is it's a different mindset. Well, and that's it. Even that last question is like, I, I used to take any excuse to get to, to New York. And right now, I, I, I can't wrap my head around leaving these Redwoods. So, um, well, I I'm, sheltered I'm here and safe. in Manhattan. So, um, any, I can give you reports. <laughs> the perfect. That is absolutely perfect. We'll send photos back and forth. Oh, that sounds great. Okay. So, for industry news, um, picked out an article that was in the New York Times uh, from their Australian uh, reviewer. Her name is Besha Rodell. And the, the title of the article is The Pandemic Could End the Age of Mid-Priced Dining. When Melbourne restaurants opened reopened after lockdown, owners got creative and dinner got far more expensive. Um, so, uh She's talking about, you know, Australia is a bit ahead of us with opening. But then in this article, they said in Ju like July 8th that they went back on lockdown because of the virus. So um, but she she mostly talked about this restaurant, Liho Fook, um, about how they they went to a new pricier tasting menu option post, you know, with the opening up of the pandemic and just kind of, you know, questioning is this is this what's going to be the future that dining is going to be more more expensive or more of a luxury experience and the mid-priced is gonna we're not going to see as much of that um i thought it would be interesting to get your perspective of this i think there's going to be a trend to go that direction i think you're right that the the mid-priced restaurants are going to take a hit and that's it's no different than when we saw the the dot-com crash in san francisco um where where the Neighborhood restaurants, the low end, uh, got traction. The super, super high end got traction. The points in between took a beating. Uh, and that, I think it's going to be the same thing. Uh, there's a brand new restaurant that just opened in Chicago, since we were talking about it, and it's, it's Ever, um, which right. is, you know, yeah, Curtis Duffy and, and Michael Muser, uh, who had Grace, a Michelin three-star. So they just reopened, and and... Part of what's going on for them is, I guess, I think Chicago's at fifty percent maximum. Maybe it's twenty five percent maximum seating, but it, there's there's a there's a cap. Um, that's fine at the ultra high end. If you're doing a tasting menu that's you know two thirty five, two fifty five per person, food only, um, and then everything starts getting added on, you're you're still making good revenue. Uh, and you can and and with this staggered seating, the the distancing between tables that happens at three star level, um, it, it starts making sense to execute that way. Same thing if you're running a, a, a really low end concept, you can have uh, a counter service, walk in, casual, drive through windows, you know, any number of things that that makes sense on the really low end fast casual type component, but. If you're looking at uh, the big bustling restaurants, tables super, super close together, packed in, the loud, boisterous, um, you know, brasserie, bistro type things, I, I don't know how they exist at 25% capacity. Uh, or, 
they, they just don't, it's hard to make the numbers pencil out. Um, I, no one's sure how it's going to, where we end up. Um, I think that restaurants ultimately are going to look very close to what they did six months ago, but it may take about five years to get to a point they're recognizable the same way. Uh, there are also things that are being instituted, I think, right now that may never go away. And, I'm, and a lot of those things so far as uh, just the everyone's comfort level with, with sanitation, cleanliness, disinfection, um, you know, it's just going to be different. We're, you know, if someone sneezes on an elevator now, I don't know what people are going to do. Yeah, well, um, no, I think I think everything you said is very true. And I think um, in this article, um, yeah, I, it's um, it. I, I could see this as as the future of, of how things are going to be. I've also been following along with what Alinea has done through this uh, pandemic and their switch to the the takeout um, and uh, the pickup service, and just and now they have the open air space they're doing. They found the rooftop to do their their um, bring that to people. Um, but you're, I think you're right with fine dining. It's like you have you naturally have more space between tables and kind of that um, special exclusive like experience versus when, you know, that I think would work works with social distancing. <laughs> well, the interesting part you run into is at the very, very high end, um, a lot of the traffic uh, for Michelin three stars in the United States, at least is, is people flying in for dinner. It isn't neighborhood traffic. Mm-hmm. Um, so with people not flying as much with people not traveling, uh, out of state or internationally as much right now that that's a huge number of of seats uh, of guests that would normally be visiting these restaurants um, so I know that a linea the flagship has not reopened yet and I'm, and I'm sure that's a factor playing into when they decide to reopen is, is getting um, that that fly in traffic again yeah 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 it's it's uh... But yeah, that's the same with the, I'm thinking the restaurants in New York, like, you know, the EMPs and the Libernadins. It's, um, it's a lot of tourists that typically go, um, and, and support and want to, you know, be there. So we'll have to see what happens. Um, absolutely when we get to that stage. Yeah. The so, question becomes, do they even reopen? Yeah. Well, that's also, I feel every day it's, I hate to say it, it's like every day, but they're reading about a closing of a, a, a dear special place um, for whatever reason. And it's, it's very hard. Um, I'm feeling for our industry, you know, um, it's tough times. And, and we also now um, in New York, you know, it's been interesting watching uh, places doing outdoor dining and how New York is, has turned into a lot of, you know, there's all this patio seating everywhere and, um, it's it's definitely changed the the look of the city, so we'll have to see how how that progresses. No doubt. Okay, so it's time for my solo dining experience. So this um, this week, um, I went to well, it's actually from from about oh no, I'd say about a month ago this experience, but I want to share it. So it's it's at F and F Pizzeria. So here's the rundown. The location, 459 Court Street, Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn, New York City, in a converted garage between Frank's Wine Bar and Frankie's 457. The concept, it's a collaboration with legendary bakers Chris Bianco and Chad Robertson, serving a classic New York slice using the best ingredients and timeless techniques. So the owners are the Franks, 
Frank Castronovo and Frank Falcinelli of Frankie's Spintino Group. And that includes Frankie's 457, Frank's Wine Bar, and now new, they opened up Frankie's Pantry and Bottle Shop. Why did I go? Well, this place was on my radar since it opened in October because of all the chefs involved. I wanted to check it out and I hadn't gotten out there. So my experience, um, again, this was like uh, late June. Um, I have a client out in Industry City in Sunset Park, Brooklyn, uh, called Gumption Coffee. And I I went out there for a meeting. I took the train out there. It was my first time back on the train. Um, And then afterward, I decided to bike back to Manhattan. And in doing so, passed through Carroll Gardens um, and stopped this pizza place among, among, I also stopped, I mean, I stopped to watch a sunset in Dumbo, but like I eventually made it home. Um, So this place is on my route. So it worked perfectly. Um, At the time, outdoor dining wasn't happening in New York. And they do have a lovely garden um, at Frankie's 457 that's now open. Um, but they had takeout options. And I arrived and actually I saw the Franks uh, were standing outside with friends. Everyone was wearing masks and social distancing. But it was like it was cool to see this Brooklyn um, neighborhood vibe going on. Um, I said hi. I went to the takeout counter at the front of these garage doors. Uh, I paid. I waited a few minutes for my pizza, and then I took it to a nearby playground um, and sat and ate in the shade. So, what did I get? I had one regular slice of Bianca di Napoli tomato with with Bianca di Napoli tomatoes, mozzarella, pecorino romano, and Sicilian oregano. And then I had one Sicilian square pie with its focaccia-like crust, and had the same ingredients, but it also had Frankie's extra virgin olive oil. My take, they were delicious. Um, I like them both. I probably like the square a little more. It had a really great crust on it, but I would I would get them both again. Um, the ambiance, lovely Brooklyn neighborhood. I'd say it's perfect for pizza cravings. Um, and I see they now deliver whole pies online, contactless delivery that you can get. Interesting tidbit, Pete Wells of the New York Times named FNF Sicilian Slice and Regular Slice, one of his top 10 New York dishes of 2019. And personal fun fact, um, as I said, this was my first time in, well, this was my first time in Brooklyn after the pandemic and my first time biking home over the Manhattan Bridge, which was which was really cool. I've become quite a biker now in this pandemic. It's been my, my primary way of getting around. Um, the cost of this meal was $10, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes, their website, franks.com. Pizza is their website. So there you go. Um, have you heard of Have you ever heard of the Franks and these guys, uh, Gary? I, I have actually, and I, I can't. I'm dying to make it out there to try it myself. Yeah. Well, when you get back to New York, we'll go and we can go out there together, and maybe it and is maybe a we can, I would like date. to go back and sit in their garden and have a meal. They have a really lovely, lovely spot. So um, it's a date. Done. Great. I love it. Something to look forward to. Okay. So it's time for the, the final question. My next guest is Akhtar Nawab. He is the chef and owner of Alta Kalidad in Brooklyn and also of Otra Vez in New Orleans. And he's participating now in a new a new um, company called Cook, Unit, Cook Unity. And they have a the Creators Club, which is it's a new 
digital chef-to-consumer platform connecting culinary talent with consumers looking for an elevated at-home dining experience. So, Carrie, what would you like to ask Akhtar? Well, what, what hit me when I was reading uh, the bio on him is, is the New Orleans connection. And I remember talking to another chef from New Orleans who'd gone through Katrina. And, and what he described was that as, as the city of New Orleans was coming back from that, uh, he got out on the street and he had a, a big pot of just red beans and rice. And he didn't have a ham hock. He didn't have an onion. It was literally just red beans and rice. Because what he tapped into was uh, that, that as a chef... His desire was just to feed people. Uh, my question for, uh, for Akhtar would be, what did he discover as a chef through COVID that he maybe didn't expect to or that really surprised him? Or what did he tap into from his own heritage that, be it the Indian side, the Mexican food that he's explored so fully, uh, that will help uh, carry him into this post-COVID era? Awesome. I will find out. Great question. So um, that's the show. And uh, wow, thank you so much for joining me. I, you know, I'm, I'm in awe of your career and everything you've done. You're such a, you're, you're like the king of hospitality and you've always made me feel so good whenever I've seen you, like you just bring, you have something about you that, that <laughs> you bring your hospitality with you. So um, I'm glad I'm, you know, I'm glad you're, you're, you're doing well through this and I, I wish you, wish you the best and, and everyone on your team, you know, we'll get through it. Well, thank you, Sherry. Same to you. And I always enjoy seeing you. It's just been too long since we've seen each other in person. So let's uh, figure out how, when we make that happen again. I would love that. I know it's, I mean, we're like the things like events are, events are how, how I know you and we don't have events right now. <laughs> so. and, and it may be a little bit, <laughs> maybe a minute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll have to figure out more ways to connect, but this was great, and thank you so much for joining me. And, um, yeah, I hope to see you soon. Well, thank you so much for having me. I, I so appreciate the conversation. And, uh, you know, lots to think about no matter what. And it's just nice to share time with a friend. So thank you. Great. Thank you. My guest today has been Gary Obligacion. He is the general manager at Post Ranch Inn in Big Sur, California. Their website is postranchin.com. You can follow him on social media at Gary O O O O O. That's five O's <laughs> to count them out to make sure I got that right. And uh, you can also follow at Post Ranch Inn. And you can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My website is BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at heritageradionetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Amanda Wang, and thanks again to Gary. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next week with another new show. I hope you'll tune in then. Be safe and be well, and thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. 
I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.